Welcome and join me today on the Hi Hello Sura Show, where I decode and deconstruct the stories, secrets, and skills of the creators of our time. If you are looking to challenge the status quo and get new perspectives, join me as I share with you practical advice that you can use to impact your life and help those around you today. Hey there, and welcome to the Hi Hello Sura Show. I'm your host, Sura Al Naimi. Today we are joined by Caroline Hopkinson, food artist, food anthropologist, sensory expert. With COVID being in our midst and affecting us in terms of us being a lot more digital than in person, we had a great discussion around what role do our senses play now and how are our senses uh, craving engagement and as a brand how do we create that engagement so we get into all of those elements and it's super fascinating so join us right now as we get stuck in caroline welcome to the show hi thank you for having me I'm so excited. And I do notice that listeners, you won't be able to see this, but if you check out the videos, you will be able to see this. Caroline, you have quite an abundance of flowers behind you. I have, yes. Is this just your natural state of being or was there something going on this week? I'm not a florist, although I think that'd be really nice. Uh, It's my birthday week. And as we all had a really tough time, I'm trying to milk it for up to a week this time, I think. think, And I'm going strong. Oh, fantastic. Happy belated birthday. (laughs) Happy belated birthday. So this is not your first time on the show, but listeners, this might be the first time you're getting to hear Caroline. And if that's the case, I strongly invite you to check out the other podcasts that we've had together. So for those of you that don't know, uh, Caroline is a food artist and a food anthropologist. And there are so many other descriptions that we can provide. But before we launch into conversation, Caroline, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, I study behavior, sensorial behavior, the way we interact with our senses or use our senses to warn us of danger, to feel comfort, to recognize certain behaviors, um, to, to mark ourselves, to use it as status, to say that we don't like and yeah, I'm fascinated by this. It's really interesting. It's a fabulously interesting time to because we all experience that communal disruptor of COVID that all our world was shifted and obviously disrupted by the, paran- um, by the paranoia of obviously being, um, having the virus as well, but it's a virus that really affected our senses. It's like the idea of we, we had that real fear of losing our sense of smell and our sense of taste so much that we forever ended up going, oh, maybe I have it. I can't smell anything. Can you smell something? Or, or I can't taste this specific thing. So we would almost train our senses and be hyper aware. And I think that's a really interesting time to be in because it was such a collective global experience. And I think that led to talking to people from... Um, the sales of scented candles went through the roof. People started um, baking sourdough, cooking, reclaiming recipes, sharing recipes, but interacting with our senses in a completely different world. Plus, obviously, being isolated and actually having this tech world. So I think it's almost a counter trend to, to, to have it being in this digital world. And the only way I can interact with people is obviously online and via Zoom and 
a lot of that, I think, will stay as well. And it's great. It's great to be able to have a parent-teacher meeting without having to go across town. While you can sit here and someone talks negatively about your child, you can debrief with a glass of wine in the comfort of your own home, <laughs> your personal sense space. So there's a doubt. There is some wonderful things, but I think it is amazing because it is something that we travel, we experience, and we put ourselves in zones and we curate this often subconsciously as well. That comfort blanket is that only that comfort blanket. It can't be washed for children because it has a particular smell. So I think we, because of that collective paranoia, we are hyper aware of certain sense, senses and this, uh, yeah, smell and, and food is really interesting. So I think it's really interesting how sales on, on, on those fronts, like personal smells, the um, perfumes went through the roof as well. And people really experimented and were craving those, those things as well. That's so interesting. And so when I think about the work that you've done previously, a lot of the work that I'm aware of is that very, from the outside, very sensational, elaborate, dramatic feasts that tell a story and take the individuals through a journey. They disrupt the person in that you provide so much unexpected prompts and invitations. And so has that evolved over the years or what, how are you interacting with brands right now in this hyper digitized? I think it's, it's really, so yes, I like to make a statement, but I think it is, it's really wonderful just to show people what's possible with your senses because they're not utilized. And it's amazing how much we know about our smartphones and the functions of our smartphone and our amazing headphones and our electric car, but we don't know, we have all these amazing apps we come with and the idea that they're often not played with, whether it's cross modalities, the idea that if I listen to a certain soundtrack, how it can modulate our sense of taste, how we had it and having those big functions with brands, it's really interesting. There's a lot of trust for brands to play with the senses at the moment, because I think the idea of having a a real IRL experience of your brand is something that you hook people in that can be used as a flagship as well, but you really connect with consumers on that. It, it bypasses um, the logical retina. So that's how you get into this love hooks and love marks with the brand leaves this lasting, lasting impact on you because I can smell, I can experience that. And I think we've all been to flagship stores of major brands and it is just overwhelmingly beautiful so having a feast like this where you walk through i created a, a walk through where you physically walk through a, a magnum for the magnum ice cream and you're really peeled off layer by layer we are really immersing ourselves truly immersing ourselves in the ice cream and every single layer had a special soundscape that was played with so it's almost using the senses and the potential of our senses with a hyperbole as well and i think it's interesting because, you know, like just by looking at the bookings and how the perception of the public, just people are incredibly hungry to be played with in, in that way as well. Yeah, the sense of play. I was reading about that, that people are hungry for that. There's a, a lot of initiatives, for example, obviously from Lego, both for children and for adults. But we're really uh, starved at the moment with this like light touch and, and that kind of engagement. Yeah, I think just engagement, because any kind of engagement become really clinical. The idea that physically a mask is something that covers your nose and mouth. There's a lot of plastic, the idea that our tactile sense, we've been deprived, physically deprived, sensory deprived. And I think it's really interesting because 
it shifted and catapulted ourselves into such a digital hyper age that a lot, whether it's department stores, we, we are, all shopping happens online and opinion forming and interacting with brands happens online. So the moment I have much less touch points, physical touch points with the brands or where I can experience the brand. But when they happen, they have to happen really consciously and you have to really play up the whole spectacle. So for instance, when, when I get to actually experience Lego, it has to be in an incredible environment. It has to really feel touch so colorful, so amazing that I really truly see the full potential of Lego because the buying choice itself will be probably via a third party browser. Maybe it's Amazon or maybe in the UK, John Lewis or wherever it goes. It's very unlikely that they'll ever get me on their own website. So even that is completely not, won't be curated. So it's as, as much as me typing into a browser going, buying this Lego thing. But so when I have the touch point has to be, you have to almost smell Lego. You have to like translate the feeling, the excitement of Lego into sound and smell and the haptics. I think that's a really interesting thing because yeah, it's minimized as well. But I think that is the, the experience of brands, it's, it's minimized for everyone. And I think so you have to have the idea people don't stroll around in city centers and are just idly thinking of what you can buy. So I think we are much more informed consumers. We're much more aware that every time we, we, we buy something, whether it's plastic that's not recyclable or not sustainably sourced fish, we're making a political and environmental impact choice. Often we know that we have to offset those choices by, by offsetting our carbon footprint. So we've been always um, lectured and told. So I think people are very hyper aware of those choices. So it's much harder to be charmed. And I think we are charmed by our senses. The idea of, mm, it smells amazing. Or you come into a room and uh, why am I spending so much money on this jumper versus this? Because they're just sending the tissue paper. I'm really fully there or in the, like of home headphones. They are incredibly calf skin leather lined, but I don't get to touch them. And you can't use, words won't really translate that sensorial impact. So I think, while we're craving this, because obviously we've always been in our comfort zone, it's, we are, yeah, we're curating that ourselves. So I think especially often those touch points are used to as souvenirs from travels or the idea of yeah, smell is touching a certain fabric from a throw from Morocco. It's something that we've been de yeah, deprived of. And so what are you noticing as you're working with different brands? What kind of, have projects changed? I imagine that they have a lot. What are you doing now? Or are you just doing the same thing, but on Hyperdrive? <laughs> I am, yes. I like to use, I love the Hyperdrive. But I think, for instance, the marketing budget has changed as well, because I think people really don't or know that it's been like positively or negatively disruptive through the political situation environmental impact that the idea like print media obviously doesn't exist but there's so much different content so it's really hard to see where I'm actually interacting with your brand but people have algorithms and through algorithms you actually almost know your consumer more exactly when they scroll scroll through Instagram what other brands are interacting with so the relationship between the brands and the consumer is much tighter so they're willing to curate on a much smaller scale, but really um, celebrating that as well. So whether it's, yeah, I've been in, in wonderful talks with uh, Bang & Olufsen, that they, rather than having a big spray of a marketing uh, budget, they really want to invite maybe 
50 amazing high-end super clients to this beautiful bespoke dinner at a high-end um, hotel and get the best chefs to really create a bespoke soundscape that you get to listen to through their headphones. And it's going to be, it's very bespoke towards their products to carve out the beauty of their individual products rather than catering and hoping that maybe 10,000 people might watch a certain ad or interact with it and will be then converted. So it's just more using existing clients or likely consumers and um, then really whining and dining them, literally whining and dining them. Yes, because that opportunity to come together physically is so rare. So to make that something worth their while, something memorable. Yeah, and to become part of the tribe. It's almost like a tribal thing because you associate with the smell, the taste. You share that communal experience almost, yeah. Like it is communal in the way that it's like the idea of breaking bread with a brand to experience that. Whether it's car companies that uh, get people to go to the seaside just to see how much of an adventure you have. You don't just promise the adventure, you give people the adventure. Mm. And because the consumers, obviously they like to use um, influencers as well because they're happily sharing that often they're actually contracts where you have to contractually people have to mention those experiences and you almost curate those adventures for their social media as well whether it's on tiktok or instagram so i think that's a really interesting thing so it's you're almost using uh, those bespoke experience to to tell your story absolutely so tell me a little bit about just recently, just I think in November, December, you did something, a partnership with Bang & Olufsen and Selfridges. Tell me a little bit about that because I wasn't able to visit while I was in London, unfortunately. That was really fun. Selfridges itself, obviously, again, has been very disruptive in the way that consumers um, interact with it because they were obviously losing the footfall and the idea of truth just idly walking through and people would um, interact um, online with it. So they said, are we gonna have the most fabulous Christmas-based market where we're gonna get different chefs and we can experience different brands within the old Selfridges Hotel. And it was fabulous because we really got to curate, like it's joyride, it's very much on that lack of joy, the senses that everything is really bespoke. Um, So I created a table where people were literally having the narrative of going through a forest, listening to bespoke soundscape, have beautiful created food by Andrew Clark, who is an amazing chef, and um, going um, up a mountain uh, again with a bespoke soundscape and then diving right into the sea. So all the menu and everything people would do was actually only told through the headphones. So they press play. And that, so it was a very personalized experience because we obviously knew people's names when they're booked in. So it was very much like someone is whispering your instructions into your ear. So that was interesting. And the entire menu as well was plant-based. I myself, I'm not vegan, but I think it's really interesting how our senses can really bring alive something that is plant-based and, and have the perception that it's almost anchored in a bigger environment, like whether it's a seaside or in the forest. So we had beetroot, but... By the time you eat the beetroot and you were so Im- like immersed in the forest that you really felt it was a bleeding venison heart. 
So I think that's really interesting to play with perception of what you're eating as well. So yeah, we literally took people on a joyride. How did people feel like it was a venison heart? How did the, the music interact to, to make people feel that way? From the dewy moss of, of very bespoke, like the idea of the recording. So it's, it's about footsteps and walking through by chance encountering a hunt in the forest. So by the time this is obviously plated up and it's like on a bed and the idea you're eating it, in, in, in there and it's lit obviously there is a visual cue as well from the beetroot to something that is maybe just it felt very gamey and it felt very much raw obviously that yeah the idea of the hunt you don't hear the venison itself but the idea that wild animals in the forest and it, it's that journey so it's so immersive so you're placing and anchoring someone in that world so it's not just forest sound it's really much like the footsteps the idea of being lost, the, the breathing, the, the mountain dew, but as well the idea of being in the forest through a, a continuum of time as well, and especially being able to use fabulous soundscapes as well. So you're really truly immersed in, in that world. So it's not just two-dimensional, the, the sounds you're listening to. So you have this fabulous, yeah, immersive sound experience. And then that transitions as the individual's eating. So it's timed with the different courses. Exactly. But it's so, it's, I mean, it's so timed that by the time that you're eating a certain leaf, the leaf would have a different soundtrack to the crunch of, of something else. So it was very bespoke because you can almost cue that. So it's almost um, like a hypercography of the senses. So then you would need to know the average time it would take someone to eat that and portion it just so that sound came on at just the right moment. Yes, I'm very pleased because actually I did two experimental musicians, two doctors at the conservatoire in Leeds. And so we, we actually did publish a paper and came up with a new uh, musical parameter, which is the estimated consumption time. So the estimated consumption time, ETA, is the, is the or ECA, ECT is the, the average time it takes an average person with normal mastication to eat something. So you could average, yeah, yeah, we managed to average that out. That's so incredible. Wow. I want to experience that. That sounds amazing. But all these times and algorithms are already used. So I think it's right. the idea, you know, every time we, we interact online or we search something up, these algorithms, how long we spend online, how much we eat. We actually, that information is there and we're happily disclosing that, the idea every time we order food, every time we use a delivery service, they know exactly how we interact properly between the 10, like our irrational choices are most likely between eight and 10, how much time we spend on certain things. They, we are pretty uh, transparent. Right, right. And by understanding those algorithms and we can create these experiences. Yeah, or as well by understanding them, I can see that, that oh, you're more likely to be a sweet person, you have a sweet tooth, you have a pref strong preference for, for sweetness because you're an agreeable person. There's a very strong correlation between personality and taste preferences as well. So based on this algorithm, by just looking at your interaction and your tech interaction, I can almost predict that, oh, maybe she is a bit like a, of a firecracker. She's more likely to like strong flavors like espresso or spicy flavors. So she's more of like an outlander. She, she tries to be challenging, challenging herself and coming out of her comfort zone with a taste rather than staying within her comfort zone. So you can predict. That is so incredible. Yes, I like bitter drinks. So what does that say? I would guess that you like bitter drinks rather than just 
sweet, simple, straightforward lemonade because you like challenges. If given the choice, I'm, I'm just um, obviously. I love projecting. this. I feel like I'm a soothsayer. <laughs> it's a bit like, yeah, it's a bit like a psycho. It's like a taste analysis. So, given the chance of being in your comfort zone and watching the same series over and over, or a roller coaster ride, you would go on the roller coaster ride. Given the chance of having something very familiar and sweet and simple or that incredible bespoke bitter flavor with a bit of a kickback at the end, you'd be like, oh yeah, I'll have that. So it is, it's very predictable because it, it's your personality, the way you interact, the way you search for new answers or new questions as well. It's the same person because you, you I think, discovered or you learned very early on to override the fact that Bitter flavors actually signify danger, but there comes a lot of there comes a lot of the idea of oh, I left my comfort zone. There comes a lot of gratitude afterwards. Mm -hmm. So that stepping out of your comfort zone is a positive experience rather than so it's worth it. And I think learning to override that early on are the same people who um, meant like to override the preference for sweetness with bitter or extreme spicy food as well, because it's used as a more adventurous example. Mm -hmm. But it's really interesting often. A typical male uh, preference in restaurants that idea of, if you want to be conveyed convey an image of more adventurousness you order a very spicy food rather than something you wouldn't order like a macaroni cheese but like the idea of spiciness it conveys like a certain image as well mm -hmm, mm -hmm. learn over time yeah so what are you what are, because you're always in the notion of exploring and researching and you publish with academia what are you noticing right now that you're like oh I just I can't wait to try this out or perhaps something that other brands should be aware of when they're constructing their engagements yeah I'm really excited um together with food design nation we're gonna have a big global research thing on the impact on taste in the post-covid world so I'm really excited to to kick that off and just to actually collect data on how our interaction with taste changed, whether you had COVID or suffered from COVID, but as well, or just the idea of the paranoia or the fear of getting COVID, how that made us hyper aware of our sense of taste in the way that it's taste of scent and um, smell and taste, but I think specifically of taste and how is taste, post-pandemic taste changed? Are we more adventurous? Are we craving more adventurous taste? So I'm really excited to, to actually get some real data and insight because what I'm hearing that people are desperate to try out new flavors, to really get out there, to be really healthy, that food has a real functionality. We can talk with a, a voice coach and the idea of people who are just before they're going on a big talk, they would like to eat ginger, the idea is like that, that, that you be really aware that the certain foods can modulate our, our well-being and our performance as well. So performance-based foods is a really exciting area. And, but I'm really excited to actually be sitting on all these data as well, just to see how taste in 2020 changed as well. And like that, just the impact on taste post-COVID, but uh, yeah, post-COVID, but post-pandemic, post-isolation. Do you have any hypotheses? I think it's like the idea that people couldn't travel. So like the idea of comfort food, I think we had enough of, so we're trying to break out. Of it. So I think it's a creating the perfect axis of joy and usefulness. And I think that's always at the moment when it works. The idea of people care about the environment, but ideally, if it brings me joy, that is perfect as well. So it has to have sensory stimulation. So something that is delicious, that's something that creates a certain heat in you, something that keeps you going at a certain, especially time-based, 
um, is great as well. So whether it's delivery companies or food companies that can track and modulate that as well. So maybe, you know, at this time of your month, you're supposed to have oat milk with your coffee. Maybe next week um, from Tuesday to Wednesday, you're supposed to have soy milk. That will work better or just really bespoke things. And I think that is the hypothesis will be probably by the idea that people are hyper aware of their taste and wanting to, to taste in a, in a different way than before, rather than going back to the new normal. So with that, and you talked about that we have within our bodies, all these apps that already exist that we're not as familiar with. It, do you anticipate a rise in our knowledge or brands taking a role in informing us about? People are really hyper aware of their tastes. I think the senses, I think they had a lot of time, the idea of reacquainting themselves with cooking and baking or what they're I think health as well health is a huge idea the idea of the immune system uh, reducing inflammation the idea of mindless eating is definitely a thing of the past the idea of sitting there mindlessly stuffing a burger so you're almost being shamed into that from an environmental factor from an obesity factor but it, it's in the way that we have a certain duty towards health so I think yeah and so when you talked about joy and what was the other word you used joy and there were two uh, responsibility or rationality it's always that perfect uh, axis mm. i think because i think it is a okay it's good for the environment but will i eat this just because it's better for the environment i'm not going to change my eating habits but if it's delicious and it's good for the environment it will it'll get me so i think that's really fun so whether yeah i have a an electric car, I, I love driving with it. It brings me joy. It's a perfect access between the two or having worked recently with um, someone who develops pasta straws. The idea of a straw is something that I don't need a straw. So for me, it was always really interesting. Do we need a straw? I can just do without the straw. Do we need to produce alternative straws? But I think it's like someone who produces pasta straws now, they're environmentally friendly. It's a byproduct. You can almost collect them and make something out of it. I can see that working. So it creates a perfect axis of good for the environment, but it en enriches my life and it enriches my sensory interaction with the world. So it's not just rational because I think we're not driven by rationality. Mm. It's like good for the environment, sustainable, but it's also good for me as in from a health perspective. Mm -hmm. So it's all around goodness plus joy. Yeah, exactly. But it's like the public and the personal good as well because obviously I think brands as well I think overestimate how much the public good will actually inform our buying behavior just because it's good for certain things I won't physically buy this and and interact and start using it as well as a consumer how exciting Caroline thank you so much for um spending the time I I can't wait to see your next project I can't wait to see uh the results of this study and so if people wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, probably give me a shout on whether it's LinkedIn, Instagram, or on my website, carolinehopkinson.com. And what are you particularly excited for people to reach out to you about? What is it that would be like, oh, that would be thrilling, if anything? Anything to bring me out of my own comfort zone, because for someone who is always pushing other people out of the comfort zone, <laughs> it's really interesting. It's like the idea of, yeah. I'd like to work with rocket science, <laughs> creating the perfect meal for space. But the idea of just, yeah, just really thinking differently and just pushing yourself even further into new avenues and just to see what is, what's out there. 
I know that we were just about to close, but I'm curious about, because you do create such a sense of ritual for others and heighten the senses. What are some of the things that you do for yourself that have just become a part of your ritual that when people visit, they are like, oh, what are you doing? Over a lot of, I love uh, the ritual of someone coming over, taking their code. It's really obvious, but I really like to have a good feel of their code. It's really interesting. I just noticed that the other day that like you hack, but it's like the idea is like, mm, this is your code. It's like I get an extra sniff, putting that away, so, like serving someone a drink. I think it's like the idea what I really like to spend half of the day being really good, having lots of juice, doing lots of exercise. And then um, almost earning that for the evening, the idea of being very, you know, like more indulgent. It's like having that glass of wine or that cocktail or that unhealthier food. Brownie bank that is constantly calibrated as a plus or minus. I'm not sure that's good, but that's the, <laughs> that's the idea. It's like the, and I think it's like a lot of the idea of scenting from smudging or scenting. I truly believe that a certain scent can make children laugh about it but like the idea that if there's bad vibes in the room I'm literally walking around with some white sage just to just to start fresh if someone is arguing I'm not sure that's helpful but I really I think part of it is maybe placebo but there's a deep-rooted belief that these things really make a difference also I, I'm connecting to the idea that you're anchoring that this is a fresh start both for yourself and for others Completely. So by saying that it's your, it's almost a positive manifestation yes. and by walking around. So I'm not sure it's physically the white sage. It could be anything else, probably what you're burning or yes. okay, you could, but it's like the idea of yeah, could be walking around with a cigarette, but it's the idea. This is, we're just starting fresh and that recalibration. And I really like the idea of punctuating your sense of something that in the evening I have like the sleep candle or it's more lavender based or that's just, it's really extreme. It's like the before going to sleep I need that spray the silk eye mask but but maybe sometimes I think it's almost yeah uh, whether we really need this as well but they are all comfort blankets and what I'm connecting to as you say that is that punctuating different parts of the day or signaling different chapters would have been something that happened quite regularly when we were out and about a lot more and now we're, we're home a lot more the need to do that is perhaps enhanced Oh, definitely. But I think it's really interesting because I think talking to, to friends as well, most people will still change for dinner, not so much anymore, but in the middle of lockdown, the idea of physically getting dressed, putting makeup on and then sitting and eating your dinner. And I think that celebration is really, it's really beautiful because you're, even if there's no one there to see you, but the idea of honoring it and that there's always a beauty when people, I'm always fascinated when I see people walk by themselves into a restaurant and just have the most indulgent meal all by themselves. Not a phone inside. They're not doing this. It's like the idea of virtue signaling or status just purely for themselves. And they're playing towards, you know, like being at the best restaurant and just having a cup of tea. And I love that celebration mm -hmm. and the honoring it for yourself or buying flowers for oneself. Or if you have a cup of tea and just bringing out the most bespoke tea service, it's about the haptics and the textures of, just yeah, just honoring yourself and elevating the everyday to something much more special. It's really beautiful. Can you write a book about that? Because I would buy it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's really interesting. People always say, oh, I'm going to bring the good service out, but I'm not using it every day because what you're actually saying that I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to use my best cup. I'm just waiting for it. And I know where that comes from. It's, it's generous towards guests, but what you're actually just saying is not good for me. So I think there's a real beauty about it, but yeah. I love that reframe. I love that reframe. Caroline, thank you so much. And 
it's always a pleasure for us to get together and listeners thank you for of course taking the time to enjoy the show and if you've enjoyed it please write a little note uh, to share with us because we do love to hear your feedback and that inspires us for future shows and once again i'm your host sura al 